Good morning and welcome to week 29 in our survey of the books of the Old Testament. Today we come to a book that a lot of you are probably very familiar with, the book of Jeremiah. I was thinking to myself, you know, this is not like teaching Micah, who very, very few people are really familiar with. It's not like teaching Ecclesiastes, who people seem to misunderstand quite a bit. Now, the, the people I've talked to, a lot of them said, I love Jeremiah. One Christian said, that's my favorite book. And there's a lot in this book. Um, it is the longest book in the Bible, actually. My slide here says it's the longest of the major prophets. Again, we say major or minor prophet, not because of their contribution or importance, but by word count. Uh, if you go strictly by word count, not only is Jeremiah the longest of the major prophets, 33,000 words, 52 chapters, it also happens to be the longest book of the Bible, longer than Genesis, which comes in second, and even the Psalms, which comes in third. So it's a, it's a big lift. It's a lot of stuff. We're not going to be able to hit everything. I was just telling Jared, I wish I could have written another thousand words, but I had to keep cutting. There's so much in this book. And so uh, in order to... Uh, to teach this, I'm going to have to go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to bless our time together. So bow your heads with me, if you will. Father God, once again, I stand here um, a sinner, uh, unworthy, uh, but um, I've been praying this week as I prepared this lesson, Lord, that you'd be glorified, that we would better understand your prophet Jeremiah. What an amazing man, Lord. May we be more like him. May we be obedient like him. Uh, Father, bless the hearing of your word. May we understand more clearly who you are, how consistent you are, that you never waver, you never change. May we see um, who you are more clearly and worship you more fully, Lord, again. That's my prayer. So bless uh, this lesson, Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, as per usual, we're going to start our lesson by talking about the author. We're going to talk about the date of his writing, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about what was going on historically. So I'll I'll give a good synopsis of the events, and then we're going to dive in and talk more about the prophet himself and the world that was, uh, what was going on in the world at that time so you can appreciate his ministry. So let's start by talking about this amazing prophet, Jeremiah. We know, if you want to open up your Bibles, I'm not going to read from it necessarily, but chapter one of Jeremiah says that he was a priest He's the author, by the way, if I didn't say that. He was a priest. He was the son of a man named Hilkiah, and he was from a city known as Anathoth. It was just north of Jerusalem. Anathoth was called a priestly city. It was one of the cities of refuge for the Levitical priests. So he would have been very familiar with the law. Uh, These cities like Anathoth that he came from uh, were dedicated, the scripture says, to the sons of Aaron. Aaron was a Levitical priest. He was the brother of Moses. They were both the grandsons, the great-grandsons, rather, of Levi, for whom the Levitical Levitical priesthood was named after. Levi was the son of Jacob, of course. So quite a background for this prophet. Um, And his ministry lasted a total of about five decades. Forty-two years, approximately, of it was centered in Judah. Um, After the Babylonian captivity, some uh, rebellious remnant that was still in Jerusalem took him prisoner and took him into Egypt against God's will. He ministered for another eight years, we think. Most of the lesson today, most of the book deals with his prophecy, though, the first 42 years in Judah. So that's what we're going to talk about primarily. And now I'm going to do a brief synopsis of the historical events, just a brief summary. There's a ton that I can't get to, unfortunately, but I want to tell you what was going on, and then we're going to dive in and look more at him and more about the scriptures, uh, the words that God gave him. So, um, everything that took place here begins um, about a century after a seminal event 
in the history of the nation of Israel. If you haven't already memorized 722 BC, that is when God's judgment was poured out on the northern 10 tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel. Those apostate 10 tribes, when the king of Assyria swept down, took them captive, and banished them to the cities in uh, the Assyrian Empire where they began to blend in with the Gentiles and were kind of lost really to history, most of them. That was a massive judgment on the nation of Israel that happened a century before Jeremiah was called. So here we are at the beginning of Jeremiah. We're almost a century later, and the people he's speaking to now that are left in Judah are the remnant that's left in the, in the Holy Land. And they're about three generations removed from that judgment in 722 B.C., Unfortunately, it appears as though what happened, God's judgment on the northern tribes, is just a distant memory for these people because they are now completely apostate, and we're going to talk about that. Isn't that incredible when you think about it? The ten tribes of the north were their distant cousins. They were all related through Jacob. They knew full well what happened in 722 B.C., but apparently didn't have much of an effect on them. It hadn't put the fear of God in them. Seems like their great-grandfather's grandfathers, fathers hadn't really taught them what happened. They did not have the fear of God in their hearts, so you're going to see this. They have gone completely apostate. And here's Jeremiah. He's called to speak to these Judeans, this rebellion, rebellious remnant that's still here in the promised land. And at the time, there were three world powers. When Jeremiah was called, there was Egypt to the southwest. There was Assyria. They were still a power when he came. This was about... Uh, Uh, 626 B.C. when Jeremiah was called. And then there was Babylon to the north and the east. And after about 21 years into his ministry, like I said, Jeremiah's ministry to Judah was about 42 years, almost halfway in, Babylon emerges as the dominant power, and they sweep into Jerusalem and into Judea, and they subjugated the nation into a subordinate position. The ruling king at the time, he'd been there for a few years when Jeremiah was called, in uh, 626. This is not an actual photo, by the way. Uh, It was King Zedekiah. Um, I'm sorry, not when Jeremiah was called. Uh, I misspoke. When all of this happened that um, they were taken to Babylon, the, the fifth king was Zedekiah, and he hated being subject to the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, and so he rebelled. That infuriated Nebuchadnezzar. This is just a recap. Most of you know this. After 19 years of occupying Judah, in other words, pretty much the second half of Jeremiah's ministry to these uh, kings of Judah, about 19 years after occupying them, when Zedekiah rebelled, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was fed up, and he decided to put an end to the nation of Judah. So he rounded up, um, he put a siege around Jerusalem, and then he eventually took the city. He rounded up all of Zedekiah's key uh, military leaders, his key cabinet members, a lot of the politicians, uh, had them put to death. And then... He took Zedekiah's sons and executed them right in front of his eyes, and then as if to say, this is the last thing you'll ever see in your memory, had Zedekiah's eyes gouged out, and then put Zedekiah in a Babylonian prison where he would die. And this happened, all of this happened right around 586 B.C., and after, after the, the execution of these people, as you know, um, the Babylonians took the city of of God. They burned down the temple of God, all the major buildings in Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem were destroyed, and all of that happened in 586 B.C. Again, that's about 42 years into Jeremiah's ministry. So remember 722 B.C., when the northern kingdom was punished, 
586 B.C. is when we saw the end of uh, Judah. That's a, just like I said, a brief synopsis of the, all the historical, not all the historical events, a, a minor synopsis of the historical events that happened during Jeremiah's lifetime. Now, we can say that this was um, an incredibly sad, obviously, a tumultuous time for the nation, and Jeremiah was right in the thick of all of it. This all happened to his country and to his people. He was an eyewitness to the end of Judah as a nation, and now I'd like to focus a little bit more on the prophet Jeremiah himself and and on his message as well. God gave Jeremiah the task of speaking irreversible judgment. Irreversible judgment. And sadly, the vast majority of the people that Jeremiah spoke to over 42 years, even on into his captivity in Egypt, hated him, despised his message. But that was his calling. His calling was to be rejected and hated by the masses for speaking the truth. But he wasn't called to please the people. He wasn't called to go along with consensus. This is why I love him. Regardless of where he was or to whom he was speaking, he never wavered. He never caved to peer pressure. How incredible. And it wasn't because he enjoyed being hated, but it was because he feared the Lord more than he feared men. And he did what he was commanded to do. What an incredible prophet. So think about it. It wouldn't have been easy. Think about this. For for 42 years in Judah, he had to deliver this message of irreversible judgment. How fun would that be? He loved these people. And he mourned. He constantly mourned over the spiritual state of his nation and his people. He also mourned over knowing what was coming. He knew what was about to happen, including the fact that their temple, their, their place of worship would be destroyed. Their homes, their buildings, their sovereignty, their way of life, their land, all of it he knew would be taken or destroyed. This is the burden he had on his heart. He knew this was going to happen. It's, com- it's, it's really hard for me to comprehend how difficult his life must have been, his life of obedience It was a life of sorrow, and as many of you know, that's what earned him the nickname of the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, and hopefully now you understand why that is. By the way, he's also responsible for writing the book of Lamentations, which is an intense expression of grief over what happened with the Babylonian captivity. And next week, um, Kerry Wilson is going to talk about the next book written by Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations. So if you want to learn a little bit more about the historical background of not just what was going on at that time politically, but also prior. Um, we don't have time, but go to 2 Kings 21 through 25. And in particular, when you get to chapter 21, it's really interesting. You'll read about possibly the most wicked king of all time that ever ruled over Judah, King Manasseh. He was an evil, evil, wicked king. And it's kind of like uh, the prophet, um, I believe it was Zephaniah. Yeah. Jeremiah and Zephaniah both kind of had uh, the fate of what, uh, what they were bringing to the people that they were ministering to. It had already been sealed by people that came before their ministry. In this case with Jeremiah, Manasseh was kind of the one that sealed their fate. It was before even uh, Jeremiah came. So read 2 Kings 21 through 25. Um, hold on to your hat when you read about Manasseh. But I want to take a look at some key passages in this book. So if you've got your Bibles open, flip to chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 20. This is a key message, part of a key message that 
Uh, Jeremiah is given by God to speak to them. I think it'll give you a little more insight into what's going on and why God has called Jeremiah to speak in such a way. Jeremiah 5.20 says this, the Lord says through Jeremiah, Declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes and see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord. Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as a boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. Because, but this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart, and they have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives them rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. No, he says, your inequities have turned all these good things away. Your sins have kept good from you. So what's the message here? As you look through these verses, it should be pretty clear, right? This is God, the creator God of the universe, who's saying, I am the one who created the seas, the shores that keep them bound in. I'm the, ones that, I'm the one that creates the seasons, the rains that provide for you. And yet you don't worship me? It should have brought fear into their hearts. Verse 22 again, he says, Do you not fear me or worship me? Do you not tremble in my presence? But they don't. And I just I have to wonder, how is it possible they can see the works of their God, the creator, the God of Israel, and not fear him, not obey him? How is it possible that not only can they see the works of his hands, but again, like I mentioned, just a hundred years before this happened to their grandfathers and great-grandfathers, he punished and banished and scattered the whole, their, their cousins to the north, the tribes of Israel, the ten tribes, because of idolatry. How is it possible these people don't fear their creator? Flip to chapter 11. Look in verse 7. We'll read 7 through 14. God's going to chastise the people once again through Jeremiah. And he's going to remind them who he is and that they've sealed their own fate. Now, this is a key facet to this book. They've sealed their own fate. Remember, Jeremiah is preaching irreversible judgment. Okay. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do. He's talking about the Mosaic covenant. Remember that? Blessings for obedience, curses, punishment for disobedience. Therefore, I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. He goes on. Again, the Lord said to me, says Jeremiah, a conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. What does he mean by that? We've talked about this. Evil men getting be together behind closed doors to plot evil and to execute it. They've turned their back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They've gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant that I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord... This is important. Behold, 
I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they made offerings, but they cannot save them in their time of trouble. For your gods have become as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are, the altars you have set up to shame, altars to make offerings to Baal. Therefore, this is interesting what he says to Jeremiah, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry of prayer on their behalf, for I will not listen when they call me in the time of their trouble. Incredible. God's had it with them. They are, they're done. They're toast. Let's look at one more passage. Go to chapter 14, verses 12. I'm sorry. Chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. There's more here. Chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. Thus says the Lord concerning his people. They have loved to wander thus. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. Now, keyword. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. Then the Lord says to Jeremiah, again, do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. So God has delivered a very direct final message through Jeremiah. Judgment's coming and it's coming now, you're not going to have to wait very long. And it did come fast. In fact, Jeremiah actually got to see the fulfillment of this prophecy like I talked about. Unlike um, Isaiah, remember Isaiah, a hundred years before, Isaiah had also prophesied to Judah. He talked about the coming Babylonian captivity, the fact that the Chaldeans, another name for the uh, Babylonians, would come in and desecrate and destroy their temple, that they would kill many thousands of people, that they would be taken away into captivity in a pagan land. Isaiah didn't get to see that come to pass. He preached it 100 years before. Isaiah got to see it, unfortunately. That's why he was the weeping prophet. Again, I started to mention this earlier. He came into his ministry, did Jeremiah, during the ministry of Josiah. Again, not an actual photo. Josiah came in, and it seemed to be when Josiah, towards the end of his kingship, his reign, there seemed to be a high point for Judah, it looked like things were going to be really good when Jeremiah was called. Uh, is around the time when the books of the law, Moses' words, were rediscovered. And if you remember, uh, the high priest had all the, reds, uh, the words of Moses read. And Josiah heard it, and he was cut to the heart. And I want to talk about Josiah. The, the reason I wanted to put uh, him forward, because I think he deserves to be talked about. Listen to this. 2 Kings 23 says this about him. He was cut to the heart. He turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses. And it goes on to say, before him, there was no king like him. And that would include Hezekiah, who was a wonderful, godly man. So Josiah was a good man. He went on and he destroyed the, the high places, the places of Baal worship. And he wanted the people to hear the law of God. And it seemed like people were really caught up in this. I mean, you know, people, we know people, they want to follow consensus, want to be part of the, what everybody else is doing. So it seemed like a revival had broken out. Yay, right? At Jeremiah's ministry, Judah is, is alive and revived, but it didn't last. 
appeared to be a time of reformation, but there was this prophetess, Hulda was her name. Second Chronicles 34 says what she said. Thus says the Lord, this is during the time of this reformation during Josiah. Thus says the Lord, I will still bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants because they've forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods. That they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and it will not be quenched. And her words came true. This revival that was started under Josiah didn't last Josiah's heart was pure. That's why I want to highlight the guy. I mean, it wasn't his fault. He loved the Lord. He was saved from God's wrath. But there were a lot of outward appearances of revival, but it wasn't true revival. Their hearts were still far from the Lord. They didn't repent. So it was like a lot of the modern revivals that we see. They don't last. They flame out. There's no true repentance. So it was a short-lived revival. After Josiah came his son, uh, Jehoiahaz, not much about the guy. He was only there three months. And then came um, Jehoiakim. He was there for quite a while. He was an evil man. Again, led Judah right back into the depths of depravity and idolatry. And then he was replaced by Jehoiakim. Very confusing. I would imagine letters coming to the... Are you the one that spells it with an M or an N? <laughs> you know. But uh, Jehoiakim... Wasn't there very long, another three, three years, so we don't really spend a lot of time talking about those guys. Uh, but then came Zedekiah. Again, he was the final, the fifth and final king to reign during Jeremiah's ministry. Uh, he was a weak man. Again, he just led them even further into the depths of depravity. He was the last king to reign over Judah, the last descendant of King David to, to reign as king over Judah, at least until... The next descendant of David comes back to reign. This was the final king. Someday the king of kings is going to come back. We'll talk about him just in a, in a brief moment at the end. So under the first king, we had a superficial revival. Under the next four kings came rapid spiritual decline, as you can see here. Through 42 years of five kings, Jeremiah's message never, ever wavered. He was always the voice of God to that entire society, just like any faithful preacher could be. And I was contemplating this as I prepared this lesson and was thinking about this man. How incredible that that's true about him. And it made me think about J.D. and Stephen and all the faithful pastors that we have today. We need to be praying for our pastors that they would be like Jeremiah, even in our personal evangelism, that we would be like Jeremiah. Think about this. No matter how bad society gets, and we can, I mean, I have to say this, under our current king, we seem to hate God. The current administration hates God, wants to arrest people that stand in front of an abortion clinic. They love killing babies. They love sexual perversion, sexual um, uh, idolatry. I mean, it's just, it's going to get worse. But it's, it's, it's not only that it was hard for Jeremiah to persevere against the consensus, and we've noticed there's going to be more consensus and, and wanting to get along. And people are going to be saying, Romans 13, remember these people are put in place by God. We have to pray for our pastors that they'll be like Jeremiah. He never wavered. And it wasn't just that it was hard because pressure was against him. It was also because he preached for 42 years and there was no repentance and there was no revival. Just think about that. How often have you ministered to somebody and their hearts were hard and nothing happened? 
we look at his preaching throughout his ministry, you see that sometimes a faithful preacher just preaches because that's what God has called them to do. It's not easy. Had little or no impact. Jeremiah's preaching for 42 years on, on the worsening idolatry. He, his ministry, if you look at it, it wasn't like a lot of the other prophets, like uh, Jonah, who went to Nineveh and said, repent and believe, and they did. He didn't have that satisfaction. It was more like Nahum, who went back to Nineveh and said, behold, I am against you, says the Lord. I am now judging you for your disobedience, and you're going to face my wrath. But it makes me, it makes me think about this verse that we, we mentioned many times from Isaiah 55, I think. You know, I think about Jeremiah, 42 years, no revival, no repentance. Maybe he was just a bad preacher, but that's not true. God put his words in him, and, and it's not like Jeremiah's preaching had no impact. It's not like it didn't work. Isaiah 55 says this, my word that goes out from my mouth shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Think about this. It's the same with the gospel. The gospel has the power to save. It also has the power to condemn. Those who have heard the gospel, they're now held accountable. And Jeremiah was basically reading into the record their condemnation and their judgment. Sometimes God's word is given to condemn. Think about how, again, how difficult this must have been for 42 years. And, and you, you think about how it doesn't matter sometimes how you preach the truth. Jeremiah was probably, in today's world, he was, would be called not very winsome. You know, when you, when you say the truth, no matter how you say it, people say, you're not being very winsome. People, people hate the truth. They'll say this no matter how you say it. But Jeremiah was faithful, and he, he would tell these kings. He would tell them what was coming. In fact, he would tell them at one point, towards the end, he told them, look, the king of Babylon is coming. He's going to take everybody out. You just better surrender. It'll go better for you. God will protect you. Boy, that infuriated them. You traitor. You're undermining the confidence of the people and the military in what we say. And they threw him in a pit to shut him up. He wouldn't shut up. They kept him in prison for many, many days. But it didn't stop him from giving the message that God had given them. He was giving them a message of truth. You see, and I want to bring forth something. I heard a sermon a long time ago by John MacArthur, and I want to bring forward what he said. I think this is important. Jeremiah was given a divine mission, and he knew that full well. Um, flip back to chapter 1. Let's look at his commissioning. Jeremiah chapter 1. This is really fascinating what God says to him. I think this will clarify uh, why Jeremiah uh, did what he did. Jeremiah 1, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me, says Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you, Jeremiah, a prophet to the nations. Wow. So, see, he wasn't just preaching to Judah. We're being preached to by Jeremiah today. We're the nations, right? So Jeremiah's life, as MacArthur pointed out, it was predestined by God. Before he was even conceived in the womb, he'd been called by God to a unique place, a unique place, at a unique time, with a unique message. He was set apart, he was consecrated, appointed to be a prophet of God, to speak on God's behalf. 
And he was only, the, the commentators I read, they think that he was only about 20 at the time, which is, makes sense. In verse 6, Jeremiah says, I don't, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. And then God says to him, don't say I'm only a youth. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. And then God also said in verse 8, oh, by the way, don't be afraid of them because I will be with you. I will deliver you. And it's a good thing because, like I said, again, Jeremiah was resisted, he was hated, he was despised, he was abused for everything he said. And he had a lot to say to them because they were an incredibly sinful, idolatrous nation. The text indicates, as you read through Jeremiah, um, that there was rampant sexual immorality, a lot of marital infidelity. There was um, sexual deviation, sexual perversion. And it's really interesting as you read about the perversion, the sexual perversion and sexual uh, deviation, it seems to be spoken of as a physical manifestation of the spiritual perversion of worshiping idols. Isn't that interesting? I was, yeah, it's kind of like today. Makes you wonder who's worshiping who. So they'd become a very wicked people. And Jeremiah confronted not just the people and their kings, but he also confronted the false prophets and the religious leaders. Go, to, uh, go back to chapter 5 real quick, verse 30. Chapter 5, verse 30. Jeremiah says this, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, the priests rule on their own authority, and the people love to have it so. Jeremiah was really direct confronting these false prophets. Sometime, if you get a chance, go back and read Jeremiah 23. We don't have time, but uh, particularly verses 16 through 33. Go back and read Jeremiah 16, uh, 23, verses 16 through 33. I'll give you a brief synopsis right now of what he says. These false prophets were um, proclaiming divine authority for their false prophecies using this authoritative phrase, the Lord told me. It's kind of like today's modern version of that phrase, I have a word from the Lord. You think about a lot of churches today have what they call a ministry of prophecy. Jeremiah is commanded by God to pronounce an, a judgment against anyone falsely claiming that they have a word from the Lord when he hasn't really spoken to them at all. You see, they didn't understand the calling of a true prophet, and we've covered this many times. They fail to understand that whenever God chooses to discipline a people, he proclaims it through a prophet like Jeremiah. He was warning of their coming judgment for sin. Or instead of speaking things from the word of God, which the vast majority of prophets did, instead of calling them back to the law of Moses and to repentance, these false prophets loved telling people how good they were, how wise they were, how powerful their thoughts and their actions were, how successful they could be. And the people hated Jeremiah. They, they loved the prophets that made them feel good about themselves. They hated Jeremiah. So again, like I said, one time Jeremiah was speaking uh, directly to the king Jehoiakim, the third king, and the priests and the prophets and all the people they called for his death, put him to death, shut him up. They hated, the key was, they hated the word of God so much it infuriated them. But for almost 50 years, again, he followed his divine mission, like I said. He preached his very direct message to people 
who didn't want to hear it. And again, what was the result? What was the result of all his preaching? Chapter 7, flip to chapter 7 real quick. Let's look at verse 23 of chapter 7. God says, This is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I'll be your God. And you'll be my people, and walk in all the ways I command you, that it may be well with you. Yet, they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels, in the stubbornness of their evil heart, and they went backward and not forward. That was the result of the preaching of the prophets that had preceded him, and also the result of the prophecy of Jeremiah. How discouraging. Again, think about this for this prophet. This wasn't the first time God had told them this. Um, I won't ask you to go there, but I've got it on the slide here. Through Moses... God had warned them, you know, years and years. They should remember this. Leviticus 23, uh, God had told them through Moses what would happen if they turned against him. I will lay your cities waste, and I will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. He's talking about their sacrifices. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. By the way, I went to Israel about three weeks ago with J.D.'s dad and countryside, And when I read this verse, I will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. Man, the Palestinian communities I saw, most of the land, it's a rock desert. I would be appalled at it. And he says, I'll scatter you among the nations and I will unsheathe the sword after you. And again, I saw this in Israel. Your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. It kind of looks like that now, other than a few springs and trees. So they knew this. And then the end came for Judah. As I mentioned earlier, after King Zedekiah grew tired of being subject to the king of Babylon, he rebelled again and infuriated Nebuchadnezzar. After 19 years of occupation and having them subject to him, he decided to put an end to the nation of Judah. So his army laid siege around the city and began to starve them out. For two years, the people were about to starve to death. And in chapter 52... Might flip to the very last chapter. Closing chapter of Jeremiah, it details what happened next. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. Chapter 52 of Jeremiah, verses 12 through 14. In the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard who served the king of Babylon, entered Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. And the army of the Akkadians who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And as we know the rest of the story, they captured the majority of the people, took them to Babylon where they would live in captivity for 70 years. It was a very sad, very, very sad, devastating ending to the nation of Judah. That's how it ends. That's the book of Jeremiah. You, know, now you should understand why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. But guess what? And I don't want to just end here. In, in the midst of this book, this is amazing. God doesn't forget his promises. I want to bring forward a few things here. Even in this incredibly severe judgment, God promised the restoration, this is very important, of Judah back into the land that God had given them in accord 
with the covenant that he had made with Abraham so long ago. Let me read to you two passages that echo this promise. Uh, Let's go to chapter 29. I'm going to read verses 10 and 11. Everybody ought to be really, really familiar with this. Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. Listen to God's promises in the midst of this scathing judgment. Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you, fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So that's the context of this verse. It's, by the way, it's not a promise of personal uh, prosperity and success for modern Gentiles to tattoo on their arms. If you have one like that, that's okay. Now you know the context. And you can remember now, as you, if, if somebody looks at that tattoo, it's actually a promise to God's people, Israel and Judah, that they would be brought back into the land after their captivity. The second passage, flip to chapter 32. Chapter 32, we're going to start reading in, in verses 36 through 42. Jeremiah 32, 36 through 42. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, he's talking about Jerusalem, of which you say, it's given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, says God, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting, key word, everlasting covenant, everlasting promise that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in them, in their hearts, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in them doing good, and I will plant them in this land of faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I've brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them the good that I promised them, all the good that I promised them. And if you notice, I I love it when When he promised these things to Abram, who became Abraham, he said, I will five times. Again, unilateral, unconditional. If you go through and count all the I wills in here, 11 times he says, I will. And he uses the word everlasting. I kind of think he meant it. Could be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. So this is a promise, again, that they would dwell eventually in his presence for all eternity Again, doesn't God, he never goes back on his covenant promises to the nation of Israel, which would include both Judah and Benjamin, those two southern tribes. They were all part of greater Israel. Now I want to highlight something else that's really important here. I've kind of mentioned it. Again, I don't want to overlook, um, there's a lot of details, a lot of history, a lot of incredible things. Jeremiah is a unique book. But I don't want to forget this one thing that just, it ought to be, clear here as we talk about these things. And that's this. The creator God of Israel is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Remember, he is the Alpha and the Omega, 
the beginning and the end. He is the creator God. He doesn't waver. He doesn't change. I hope you can see through the actions that he takes here in the book of Jeremiah and the words that he speaks to both Israel and to Judah through the prophets, he is the one, this blows me away every time, who inspired every single book of scripture that we've been through so far. They're all in complete agreement as to who God is. I hope we always see this, how consistent he is in his promises, but also in his execution of justice and righteousness. So think about this. In punishing both Israel and Judah for their idolatry, God fulfilled, again, the promises of the Mosaic Covenant. Blessings for obedience, but hey, punishment, curses for disobedience. Despite the punishment, again, at the same time, he makes it perfectly clear through the prophet that he's going to uphold, again, his unilateral, unconditional promise that he made to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, that the land of Canaan would be, again, an everlasting possession to them, that he'll forever be their God. He hasn't forgotten these promises. He never rescinded these promises to Israel, never. And he is a merciful God, isn't he? And he's a gracious God, isn't he? We know that. We see this here. In fact, okay, I'll throw this other one in. Remember the Davidic covenant? What God said to David? Go to Jeremiah 23 real quick. This one's still in play too. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6, God says through Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he, singular, will reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel shall dwell securely. And well, by the way, by the way, this is the name by which he'll be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Obviously, a prophecy of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, verse 5, calls him a branch of the house of David, a king who will reign in wisdom and righteousness, the Christ who will finally be recognized by Israel as the Messiah as he provides salvation for his people. Can't wait for that. Now, I'm going to close um, with another promise. I really tried to keep this short. I wanted this to be like 35 minutes, but I just couldn't do it. I had to keep cutting and cutting, and we're almost to 43 minutes now. But I want to close with this other promise from Jeremiah 31. Flip to Jeremiah 31. We're going to start in verse 31, go through 34. It says this. Listen, he's going to talk about a new covenant. Incredible. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, On the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer... Shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. 
Jeremiah had an incredibly, I hope you understand, I mean, it should be perfectly clear, he had an incredibly difficult calling to preach this message of impending judgment. And remember, even though he prayed, he, initially he wanted mercy for them. God said, don't do that, don't pray for them. But Jeremiah, even though he loved Judah and God said, don't pray for them, he loved God more than men again. As painful as it was for him to deliver this message, he was obedient to to God, what God had called him to do and what to say. And it seems that Jeremiah trusted the God that we know, that he was a good, a righteous, a just king. He knew that a righteous judge must punish evil. And at the end of the book, again, we see God's justice being executed. And that's where we're left with Judah taken into captivity in a foreign land, Jeremiah taken into captivity in another pagan land of Egypt. And that's where the story ends, and that's where we have to end today. Again, next week we're going to hear Jeremiah's reaction to all of this. Everything that took place as Kerry Wilson takes us through the book of Lamentations. So we have to end here, um, and then we'll come back here in uh, 15 minutes. We're going to worship this awesome God who never changes. So you're dismissed. Thank you.